Hello, and welcome to the Virtue Podcast. My name is Melanie Brown, and I want to talk to you about what it means to stand firm in your faith. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, commands us to take a stand, to hold tight to our convictions. What do you stand firm on? Alexander Hamilton is credited with the quote, If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. In other words, if you don't have a strong conviction, you'll easily accept any weak, unbalanced, or biased viewpoint. What do you stand for? What are the things you're willing to risk your life and reputation on? Is it politics? I know some Christians who are more passionate about their political party than they are about Jesus. Are there traditions or preferences that you just won't budge on? I think about Paul and how he was all things to all men without compromising the integrity of the gospel. Are you easily swayed by the opinions of others and find yourself being influenced by the culture? The Bible tells us, do not be conformed to this world. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. That's in Romans 12, verse 2. And the message paraphrase says it like this. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. As Christian women, we must stand fast in our faith, what we know to be true about Jesus, as revealed to us in Scripture. And the only way we're going to know what's important and worth speaking, standing, and fighting for is by knowing what God's heart is on the matter. I believe that in order for us to stand strong, we need to learn to sit still. If you're taking notes, I have six quick points, and that's point number one. Standing strong means learning to sit still. Luke 10.39 records a story you're probably very familiar with. It's the narrative between Jesus and two sisters named Mary and Martha. Jesus and his entourage came into town, and these ladies wanted to present the finest meal and the best accommodations. I mean, wouldn't you if Jesus was coming to your home? But at one point during the hustling and bustling, Mary chose to stop working and to sit at the Lord's feet, which is a place of submission, and to listen to what he taught. I like to think that Mary was sitting so close to Jesus that she could feel his breath on her cheek. Scripture records that Martha was distracted by much serving, and she got irritated when she saw her sister just sitting. And she asked Jesus, don't you care that my sister isn't helping me? And Jesus gently says, Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken away from her. What was the better part? The better part was prioritizing Jesus, sitting still at his feet and hearing his voice, giving him her full attention, time, and adoration, learning from him. You know, I used to be a first grade teacher, and when I wanted my students' attention, I'd call them to the carpet where they would sit at my feet. That way, they could see my face, hear my voice, and understand the lesson I was teaching them. And once they understood my instructions, I would then send them back to their desks with the assignment to work on. And you know, that's true for us, too. We need to look into the face of Jesus through the Word hear his voice and instructions, and then we'll know the assignment that he has for us. Anxiety, fear, and frustration 
can run rampant in our minds, hearts, and lives, not to mention what's happening in our country and in our culture. I think we're all feeling a degree of that stress, aren't we? Honestly, in order not to lose our minds, we're going to have to be intentional about positioning ourselves every day at the feet of Jesus. I believe it's the most important thing that we can do. Perhaps this is a reminder for you today. I know that when I get distracted or overwhelmed, I want to hear his gentle voice calling out to me, Melanie, Melanie, I know you're worried about so many things. Come and sit with me a while. I want you to be settled in your spirit, strengthened, encouraged, and equipped for what I'm calling you to do. We're only going to be able to stand strong and know what to stand for when we've made time to sit at his feet. That's how we're going to know and recognize his voice. Jesus says, My sheep know my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. How well do you know the voice of your good shepherd? When you read his word, can you identify his tone? There's so much noise nowadays. It's so important to use discernment. Every voice we hear must be tested against the character of Jesus. Do you think Jesus shouts or yells? Does he curse, abuse with his words, shame or cancel people who don't agree with him? Of course not. We don't see examples of that anywhere in scripture. We are his ambassadors and we have to be mindful not to behave in those ways, whether it's gossiping behind people's backs or blasting them on social media platforms. God forgive us if we've made these mistakes because it's misrepresenting our Lord. Who are you listening to? Who is the predominant voice and opinion you're giving your ear to? I've noticed that people will repeat what they've been exposed to. So if you're listening to a particular news channel for hours on end or a certain talk radio station, you'll start sounding like those programs. When we saturate ourselves in scripture, in truth, it will fill our hearts. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, if you're feeding on the promises of God, you will speak statements of truth, and that will fuel your faith. I've always believed that if you are a woman of the word, you will be a woman with a word. The truth of God's word will be in your heart and flowing from your lips. But honestly, not everyone is going to want to hear and receive the words of truth that you have coming out of your mouth. In Matthew 10:22, Jesus told his disciples that they would be hated because they belonged to him. You know, this is hard to hear for those of us who are sensitive or who are people pleasers. What? What do you mean? You don't like me. The fact that we align ourselves with Jesus is enough to bring opposition, which is point number two. Standing strong means expecting opposition. It means expecting opposition. I think when things get hard or we get hurt, our tendency is to back down or bow out. But the word for us today is stand firm in the Lord. That was first spoken to the early church. They were feeling oppressed, marginalized, and conflicted because they were living in a very pagan society. There was temptation to compromise their beliefs in order to blend in with their surroundings. Have you been feeling tempted to go with the flow, keep quiet, and just try to blend in? I get it. Most of us don't want to be argumentative. We're not looking for confrontation. 
But you know, if you're attempting to follow Jesus and live a life of holiness, you will be opposed. That opposition could come in many forms. You might be labeled, left out, or misunderstood. You could be attacked on a personal level with false accusations. A position you hold or even your job could be in jeopardy. It could put a strain on a relationship or cost you friends or followers on social media. But we don't want to get intimidated or bluffed into silence because of the pushback we might receive when we stand for righteousness. I think about Paul in the book of Acts. He had to be resilient because he endured so much persecution. We have to assume that he was feeling weary, fearful, and discouraged because in Acts 18 verse 9, it says that the Lord spoke to Paul in a night vision and he said, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. And the Lord had to reassure Paul that he wasn't alone. See, God was standing with him. Can I ask you a question? Who or what is the authority over your life? Where do you go to be instructed or corrected? Point number three is standing strong means submitting to the authority of Scripture. Standing strong means submitting to the authority of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. And it's useful. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. I heard this quote that said, When we open our Bible, God opens his mouth. Isn't that so powerful? That's the primary way he speaks to us. It's through his written word. When we accept the Bible as God's word to us, we have a solid foundation for our doctrine. And I don't want you to be intimidated by the word doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching and instruction. It's the set of beliefs we live our lives by. And you know, we all have a set of beliefs that we live our lives by. And in a day where people are embracing cultural relativism, the belief that there isn't really right or wrong, it's a matter of personal opinion, and truth is defined by culture's constantly changing standards, it's important that we hold to a biblical worldview that filters everything through the lens of Scripture. The Bible is our foundation. It's the source of truth that we build our lives upon. It's the blueprint we follow to construct a healthy marriage and family. It's a rock that's steady, secure, and immovable. God's Word doesn't change according to popular opinion. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's our compass that will help us navigate through life. You know, I don't know what I'd do without my GPS, the nav system in my car. I'd be lost all the time. And God's word is how I get directions for my life. And the Bible is also our love letter. It reveals God's heart and the thoughts that he has toward us. We can't know the will of God apart from the word of God. Having a biblical worldview means that we live by the principles found in Scripture and the promises given to us by God. It's so important to know what you believe and why you believe it, because we carry all sorts of ideas and beliefs, and we need to ask ourselves, why do I feel this way, or why am I taking the stance on this issue? And most importantly, we need to be asking, is what I believe biblical? That's the lens we want to filter our lives through. When we look at the explosive topics of today, whether it's on marriage, sexuality, gender, or abortion, it's important that we align ourselves with the written word of God. 
He is our authority. What does the Lord say about these issues? We must be careful not to add our own interpretation. That's putting ourselves in the place of God. It's not for us to personally determine what is good and bad, right or wrong, what brings life or death. The Lord has already established that. His word hasn't changed, even though culture and opinions fluctuate. Point number four, standing firm means keeping Christ at the core of your life. You know, physically speaking, standing firm takes intentionality. I work out at the gym several times a week, and the instructor is always reminding us how important it is to engage our core, whether we're working out our biceps, our back, or our legs. Your core is the central part of your body that provides strength and stability. What is at the core of your life? The core of Paul's life? What was most important to him? Well, it was Jesus. He declared, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Girls, don't be embarrassed of Jesus and the good news of salvation. Look for opportunities to share what God has done in your life. Paul knew firsthand the powerful and wonderful work of grace in his life, and he wanted others to experience it. So, how should we take our stand in a compromising culture? I just want to give you one scenario to think about. Have you ever been in a conversation When it starts to get heated because of disagreeing opinions, people get agitated and defensive and the volume of their voices increase. But you know what? You don't have to match that energy. Don't yell or lose control. As a Christian, there should be a certain level of calm and confidence because we're just messengers for what the scriptures have to say. 2 Timothy 2 verse 24 says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts. James 1.19 says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So often we do the exact opposite though, right? We're quick to speak and quick to get angry, and we're slow to listen. Have you noticed that in today's climate, we're losing the art of conversation and being able to dialogue with people who might have different views? Ephesians 4.15 says, Speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. This is the example we have in Jesus. We must tether truth and love together. We can't have one without the other. If we're just speaking truth and there's no love, We could be beating people up with our Bibles. But if we're loving but never speaking truth, that really isn't love. The best way we can show love is to share the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Paul was able to say in Acts 20, verse 26 and 27, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God includes some things that are difficult to hear. Paul didn't share half-truths or only parts of the gospel. Rather, he shared all of what God has revealed, and we must do the same. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare. The message paraphrase says it this way, The fear of human opinion disables. Trusting God protects you from that. In other words, we mustn't be more concerned about what others think of us than we are about offending God. Oswald Chambers said, I quote, The remarkable thing about God is when you fear God, 
you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. I came to the realization that the Bible is offensive. If we're living in contradiction or rebellion to God's written word, it will offend. But we don't want to offend anyone by the way we share, speak, or live out our faith. Do you see the difference? Our job isn't to condemn, but to live an unapologetic, genuine life of faith. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and convince a person's heart of their sin. Our fifth point is standing firm means recognizing that we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.10 tells us that we're at war. And then it goes on to clarify who the enemy is. And it's not your husband, your bratty teenagers, your neighbor, or that argumentative person on Facebook. It's Satan. The Bible talks about standing our ground with our armor on when the evil day comes. Paul saw his share of evil in his lifetime, and so have we. We can't neglect the provision that God has given us in order to stand strong. God has supplied us with the armor, but we're responsible for applying it. We have to put it on. I'm always shocked by how many kids I see zipping around on their electric bikes without a helmet. What makes matters worse is that their helmets are often dangling from their handlebars. They have one, but they're not wearing it. We make that same mistake when we start our day without applying the helmet of salvation. This will guard our minds and thought life, serving as a barrier and protector to the things we're exposed to in the world. If you read Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20, there's a full list of the spiritual armor. But for the sake of time, I want to just point out one more piece, the belt of truth. Without truth, we're lost and the schemes of the devil will overpower us. It's not about my truth or your truth. It's the truth that's of utmost importance. This is truth. Jesus said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's John 14, 6. Lastly, our last point is point number six. Standing firm means taking hold of the promises of God. Standing firm means taking hold of the promises of God. We have to learn how to apply the promises of God in practical, everyday ways. Because standing your ground also means persevering in your faith in the midst of difficulty. Standing is easy when things are going well and life is moving along as expected. But we have to purpose to stand firm when everything around us is shaking. Let me offer you some closing examples. It's when you've experienced a great loss in your life and your heart is breaking from grief. Trust that God is aware of your pain and sorrow and that he bottles your tears. And you stand firm on the promise that he is close to the brokenhearted and he will never leave nor forsake you. It's when you have a prodigal child and you don't give up hope for their return. You stand in faith, believing that the work that God has begun in them, he's faithful to complete. The story isn't over. It's when you find yourself disoriented because you're in a place you didn't expect to be, whether it's from separation, divorce, loss of a job, or you're in a new season of life. You stand on the promise that the Lord has good plans for you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. It's when you're overwhelmed by the craziness of our world and you intentionally look up to the Lord. You stand in faith, recognizing that God is sovereign and still on the throne and in control. 
Well, ladies, I pray that this podcast has helped you understand the meaning of standing firm in faith. May we learn to sit still, expect opposition, submit to the authority of Scripture, keep Christ at the core of our lives, recognize we're in a spiritual battle, and take hold of the promises of God. God bless you.